Hello everybody, um, and Kia Ora. So today's webinar will present the guidance um, on road cross-section design for road stereotypes. Uh, the guidance uh, has been developed to assist road managers, planners, and designers to improve road safety outcomes. Um, we are expecting more than 400 people to attend today's session, so welcome to you all, and thanks for joining us. My name is Ekaterina, I'm a communications officer at Austroads, and I will be moderating today's session. Uh, first of all, I would like to acknowledge the Australian Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people as the custodians of the land from which we are broadcasting today. I pay my respect to elders past, present and emerging. I also acknowledge the Treaty of Waitani and Maori as the original people of New Zealand. A little bit about Austroads. Uh, we are the collective of Australasian transport and traffic agencies, and our focus is to support our member organizations um, to deliver an improved road transport network. Um, the project that we are focusing on today was delivered under the Road Safety and Design Program, which is managed by David Boberman. A little bit of housekeeping. Um, so today's presentation will run for about 40 minutes, and then we will have a live Q&A uh, for the rest of the webinar with our presenters. Um, you can download the reports. Today's session is based um, on and the slides from the handout section of your sidebar, which you will find on the right-hand side of your screen. There's also a question uh, pane there, so please use it to send us your questions at any time during the webinar. If you could note the slide number that your question relates to, that would be very helpful for us. You can also use that same question section um, to let us know if you have any technical problems. But a quick tip, if you lose sound or your picture freezes, the issue is most likely with your internet connection. So leaving the session, closing the browser and rejoining the webinar uh, via your registration link usually helps. Um, this session is being recorded and we will let you know when the recording is available on our website. Um, and you can also um, uh, listen to Ostroads in your podcast app. So our presenters for today are Richard Fanning, uh, Noel O'Callaghan and Madeline Vikavik. Uh, we will first hear from Richard. Um, he's the Principal Engineer Road Design and Traffic in the Engineering Division of Department of Transport Victoria. He has extensive experience um, in the delivery of major projects and leadership roles across design teams um, during his 36-year uh, career with the department. Richard has represented department on the Austroads Road Design Task Force for over 10 years and has been involved in numerous Austroads projects and updates to the Guide to Road Design. Noel, our second presenter, is a principal professional engineer in the transport safety team in the ARP Adelaide office. Noel specializes in road design, uh, having had extensive experience in the South Australian Department of Transport. Um, he has been a member of the Austroads Road Design Task Force and the Austroads um, Safety Barrier Assessment Panel. He has also been involved in the reviewing and rewriting some of the parts of the Guide to Road Design. And our third presenter, Madeline, is a principal professional engineer in the transport safety team um, in the Arab Adelaide office. She has experience in both state and local government, having worked in network pl planning, um, asset management, and road safety roles. During her time at Arab, she has worked on various Australian projects, including updating the guide to road design. So. Um, uh, we will first hear from Richard. He will talk about the project development, followed by Noel, who will take us through the project background. And then Madeline will present um, an overview of the network design process, 
road stereotypes and we'll share a few examples. And after the presentation, Richard, Noel and Madeline will be joined by David Boberman, um, Austro's um, Road Safety and Design Program Manager, uh, to take questions from the audience. So let's watch the presentation now and we will be back for the Q&A um, shortly. Hi, I'm Richard Fanning. I'll be taking you through some background to the development of the user guide for network design for road safety. Noel and Madeline will provide further detail on the guide and its use. So how did we get from road cross-section design for road stereotypes in a safe system to the user guide for network design for road safety? It's worth reflecting that the publication of the user guide is a result of two Austroads projects delivered over the past four years. In summary, the work started with an aim of providing more information regarding cross-section design in the Austroads Guide to Road Design. The work could have resulted in a number of standard type cross-sections, but the Road Design Task Force wanted to ensure that information developed was adaptable to context-sensitive design principles and was able to reference road safety analysis tools that have been developed over the past few years. Following a reflection of current practices, the gap in the design process was considered to be provision of guidance on setting design criteria at the network level to consider network context. Existing road safety tools were seen to provide a means of informing decision-making using performance-based design at the network and corridor level to inform scope of projects. So it was important to, to incorporate that, that, that tool in, into the works. The objective in the slide summarises where the project objective landed following initial workshops and literature reviews. The project was delivered by the Austroids Road Design Task Force, which is part of the Austroids Safety and Design Program, led by David Bobberman. Representatives on the task force are shown on the slide and include Australian state transport jurisdictions, New Zealand local government and Consult Australia. The project was subjected to the governance structure summarised on the, on the slide on your screen at present. I would like to acknowledge the commitment of David Bobberman with his assistance with project managing the task and Australian Road Research Board and Rod Tradbeck for their technical leadership and wise input into the, the project and the user guide. In addition to the three names mentioned in the working group members box, there was also significant involvement from all road design task force members over the four year period. The project outcomes were tested through a number of workshops and trials and reviews by other Austroads task force and program members. As mentioned previously, the user guide is a result of two Austroads projects, which are summarised in the slide. The first project effectively established the methodology and a process to develop further and establish stereotype tables. The second project, which commenced in 2018, further refined and trialled the process, developed the intersection tables, trialled the, trialled the process with two state road authorities and two local government jurisdictions and delivered the user guide for network design for road safety. This slide summarises major contributors to the delivery of the projects and, and ultimately the user guide. The user guide certainly could not have been developed without their input, enthusiasm, enthusiasm and perseverance across the, the entire four year period. The user guide has now been published and no doubt evolved as people gain experience with it. The work supports contemporary context-sensitive design and performance-based design principles. And some of the primary benefits of the work 
as shown on the on the screen at present. It's it's certainly important to note that it does inform decision making at a corridor or network level, which is in, which is important to ensure a consist, consistent approach across across the network. It provides a means to apply performance based design principles around road safety for decision making, and it provides accessibility to a analysis tool that can be used by any knowledgeable practitioner without the needing to use specialist software. It's, it's really important to note that rather than a detailed design tool, the user guide is an analysis tool to assist in the assessment of, of cross-sections you might want to consider on, on your, your network or corridor. It certainly doesn't replace the need to understand the context in which your solution is, is being applied to. My final slide provides an outline of where the guide to road design will shortly move to. Note that this structure will be in place in the next few weeks. The current guide to road design parts one, two, seven and eight has been rolled into a new part one, which also includes some new content. Part two will ultimately include information relating to network-wide design. The user guide may end up there in, in the future. Part seven will include information on emerging design solutions, uh, a couple of thing, other things to note is that a complete review of the part four series is about to commence and the second part of the part six review is progressing at present. Over to Noel now to provide more detail on, on the project's background. Thank you, Richard. Uh, just a bit more about the background of this project. I'll go through a few slides before handing over to Madeline for the detailed design process. So this project uh, is based on how we can make a step change improvement because the, the number of SSIs nationally is no longer decreasing at a rate consistent with the towards zero target. And we need to look at four step changes that can make a difference. Our focus in this is to identify where significant changes can be made. So to that end, we're investing in research that will help us better understand and mitigate crash risks, bringing authorities and industry together to find solutions, and providing practical guidance with jurisdiction and industry use. In 2016-17, Austroads commenced a change strategy to improve the governance, governance and management for improved road safety. This slide summarises the main changes areas identified at that time. So they included um, the key focus points of the customer, people, products and practice. So we wanted to look at some clear effective guidance for local government some links with key stakeholders. We wanted to promote safety as a number one priority and also to integrate safety programs. So this project, Network Design for Road Safety, a number of these early objectives have been delivered. So we're, look, we're looking at providing clear guidance for local governments and clear guidance is concise, efficient guidance for easy adoption by practitioners. We've developed a process for use by time poor practitioners 
while still using all the available road safety intelligence. And this network design process shows where um, all of these issues can be integrated into one decision-making methodology. They are the, the safe system, speed, safety treatments, geometric design standards, and fatality and serious injury metrics. So all of those have been incorporated into this one decision-making process. The National Road Safety Strategy of 2011 and 2020 uh, had a, a, an action plan developed in 2018 as well. And the, those actions uh, are shown here. So the, the actions one to nine were the priority actions. And you can read those, uh, what, what they address. And the, the other critical actions, A to L, are, are also critical, but not as high a priority as the ones to nine, but still critical actions. So this process, this project, directly addresses action A, safety plans, high risk for high risk corridors to reduce FSIs. But it also addresses some of the other critical actions, like the, the use of the SAFE system for all infrastructure programs, uh, the review of speed limits on high risk roads, uh, developing infrastructure for regional roads, and also urban intersection treatments. There's a new road safety strategy coming out in the next few months at, with, a, with an action plan. And the establishment of this project will help support the further development of that strategy. Why do we need network safety plans? By using this process, a ROSE agency can demonstrate that they're achieving the safest network within the given constraints and supports that decision-making responsibility. So the, the concept that providing the safest projects does not necessarily support achieving the safest network outcomes. And we'll touch on that a bit later on. So road agencies have got a responsibility to, to ensure that they deliver the safest road network for the community. And this project shows a way of achieving that. All of government play a role in road safety. Uh, local government is responsible for funding, planning, designing, operating, and maintaining the road network in local areas. This process enables the agency to set policies for the network, which are consistent, justifiable, and documented. And that means also that the professional liability, now which primarily set in the detailed design area, is now moved to the network standard area. Uh, just another example of how we, this project moves from project-based to network-based. So this is an example of how a lot of road agencies work this way. They just start with a project, uh, develop the project, 
move into construction and then operate the network. That's a low maturity model. Um, some agencies have, have adopted a more mature level of uh, uh, infrastructure development, and that's by having program development up front and then moving into project development, project construction and network operation. And so with this, you have a program as well as, as well as the individual projects. This project, this process, the network program development looks at developing a network-wide safety plan. And from that, leading into the program development and the project development. And there's a feedback loop from the network operation, which feeds into the network-wide safety plans. This slide just um, attempts to show what, what the difference is between a, a project plan and a network-wide safety plan. So with a project plan, you get the best outcome for the project budget, but only for that, for that project. For a network-wide plan, you get the best outcome for the network. Um, for a project-based system, you, the standard is sort of decided at the start of each project. Whereas for the network-wide uh, process, the standards is set for the whole network at the start of the, of the process. For projects, you get an inconsistent for the user. As you can see, it's, you might get an improvement in certain localized um, places, but the network itself is inconsistent. But for network-wide safety plan, you get uh, consistent for the user. And that helps to emphasize the self-explaining road concept. The project-based approach is unsustainable over the whole network. You can't, you can't develop projects over the whole network based on the, on the available resources. Whereas the network-wide safety plan is sustainable. Using this process, you can establish overarching policies to help set the corridor vision standards. Uh, it can, used, can be used to inform an evidence-based approach for policy setting. Uh, so some examples of those safety-driven policies decision may include, you may want to focus on higher AADT roads. You may want to fix curve, uh, curves on a certain class of roads, and, and that's, that's your policy. You may want to achieve a three-star or better road for, say, a certain percentage of the network. And uh, Madeline will touch on the, the star ratings in the, in the slides that follow. Uh, you may want to introduce specific treatments for identified motorcycle routes. Or you may choose as a policy that you'll install audio tactile line marking as a, as a first off, and then before you go into the wide centerline treatment. And there's an example of that in the detailed design that Madeline will go into now. Thank you.
Thanks, Noel. And now I'll take everyone through the overview of the network design process. So as part of this Austroads project, I've developed um, a research report and a user guide. The user guide is for operational use and road authorities, and it takes you through the process with case studies um, to illustrate how to actually use the process. And the research report is for, um, I guess, more for background on how the stereotype tables were developed. So we used a really simple road hierarchy for the project. You start with your road network and then you break it into, into corridors and a corridor is defined as um, something between two points such as towns or major points of travel. And then you can further break down corridors into road links. And a road link is the bit which, um, you know, has very similar attributes relating to the terrain or the geometric alignment of that road. Um, and I'll take you through an example later to help illustrate that. But I guess um, one thing to point out here is that you want to minimise the number of links in your um, network as part of this design process. In order to apply the network design process, there are several principles that should be followed. Um, so looking at the whole network, you know, what do you want it to look like? How do we want it to perform in the next 10 years? So we wanted to maximise the safety outcome and also integrate those road safety principles into the planning process. The design principles that were used as part of, um, I guess, the background to the development of this project, um, there's sort of four key design principles and I'll just touch on each of those quickly, but if you want further information, um, you can see the green box on the slide. It's in section 1.3 of the user guide. So self-explaining roads. Now Richard's touched on this, so I won't go into too much detail, but essentially it gives the driver a consistent understanding of the road environment so that it's somewhat predictable for them. Um, so if you look at the picture here, you can see there's not a lot of delineation, there's wide lanes. And if you now look at this version of the picture, you can see that you know, the protuberances and pavement marking narrow the lanes down and the 40 kilometre an hour speed limit better matches that road environment. The next principle was um, safe systems. I'm sure everyone's pretty familiar with this. People make mistakes. We want a forgiving road environment. The movement in place framework was something else that was considered as one of the design principles in this pro, um, process. And, you know, we wanted to look at um, facilitating the movement of people and goods or places for people. So that whole continuum um, is incorporated into the road stereotype process. And the other design principles that were considered as part of this um, pro project, we've listed them on the slide. I guess we wanted to really make sure that the objectives of safe systems were integrated in the network design process and to make sure that they were considered before it gets to the detailed design process. So they're not an add-on, they're, they're there when you're setting your corridor standards. These are the objectives that we used to develop the road stereotype tables. 
So it sort of the first time that safety treatments, cross-sectional attributes and speed management were all combined in the decision-making process for the first time. And the other key part of the development of this project um, are the risk assessment methods that we used. So we reviewed a number of different methodologies and we decided to use um, two different risk assessment methods that have already been developed. So we're not recreating the wheel or anything. We're using ANRAM um, as the first one. So ANRAM is the Australian National Risk Assessment Model. It's based on Australian crash data, speeds and traffic and it's used by many um, state and local government agencies already here and it provides a predicted number of fatal and serious injury crashes. The second methodology that we used was the International Road Assessment Program. This is used by over 100 countries um, and it uses risk assessment based on extensive research which relate the crash risk to the road features. So if you haven't used this star rating methodology before. I've just got a diagram here. Um, these maps are taken from the OSRAP star rating report back in 2013. And you can just see on the left-hand side, um, this is just national highways. So there are a number of one and two star roads and some three star roads there as well. After significant targeted investment as part of the Safer Roads Investment Plan on the national highways, you can see on the right, there's now a lot more three, four and five star sections of road. So in relation to the network design process, um, this is a, a, an example cross section of a road. It has one metre sealed shoulders, 3.3 metre lanes. So using the lookup tables that are provided in the user guide, you can see that we've already got a pre-calculated value from ANRAM, so the predicted number of fatal and serious injury crashes that you can expect on this type of cross-section. And then we've also got a pre-calculated star rating from the IRAP values that are also in the tables. And if you widen the lanes and add ATLMs and safety barriers, you can see that it becomes a five-star road and reduces the number of predicted FSI is right down to almost zero. So that's just a really simple way of showing the corridor standard that you want to set up front and what the expected benefits can be. You know, how you can move from three star to five star or whatever you decide your policy position may be. And then if you repeat that network design process for every corridor in your network, um, we're saying that it should take less than a month for, for local government to be able to develop a whole of network safety plan. And I just want to remind you all now, um, if you could please send through your questions for the Q&A and if you can let us know the slide number as well, we'll try and answer the questions as we go through. Thank you. So now onto the road stereotypes. So we developed 13 mid-block road stereotypes. Um, they represent roads typically found in a road network ranging from freeways and motorways uh, to local access streets. The stereotypes are based on current classification systems and geometric characteristics. So, um, you know, number of carriageways, number of lanes, traffic volumes and speed zones. And the process can be expanded in future. So there's an opportunity to refine the tables and the cross sections based on user feedback. 
These are the mid-block cross-section attributes. So there were a number of workshops held with the Road Design Task Force, and it was decided that these were the attributes that were going to govern um, the stereotype tables. And so once you know your formation width, your lane widths, your shoulder widths, et cetera, you can then determine the star rating and the predicted number of FSIs. And I'll just show you how that works. So this is the top, the top of the stereotype table here. Um, and all the tables are found in Appendix A in the user guide if you want to go and have a look. So um, on the right hand side, you can see these are all those mid-block attributes that we just had on the previous slide. And then using your pre-calculated values, these are your ANRAM, your predicted number of fatal and serious injury crashes that have come from ANRAM analysis and then the predicted star rating using IRAP. And this is what the whole stereotype table looks like. So there's 13 of these types of tables. So this one is um, a rural highway road stereotype. And you can see that there are eight different IDs down the left-hand side, uh, which are all slightly different cross-sections under that one stereotype. So even though there's 13, there's only 13 tables, there's actually 88 cross-sections because each ID or row is a different cross-section. Um, and we can obviously include more cross-section examples to better align with your road agency networks in future. Uh, the safest cross-section is at the top and the least safe outcome is there at the bottom. And you can basically show the performance and the performance of your cross-section and how it can be improved with a selection of design changes. Or um, using it the other way, when you want to develop a project, you can compare the proposed upgrade options and the benefits to the existing conditions. Now, this is what we um, are using as sort of a communication summary. So it can be used for counsellors or senior management executives. Um, and as Noel touched on before, think about the policy outcomes that your organisation might be aiming for, such as a three-star minimum network or five-star national highways, et cetera. And this is just a way to visually um, communicate what you're trying to achieve, essentially. We've also developed 13 intersection stereotype tables, which match the mid-block stereotypes, obviously. Um, they're in Appendix B of the user guide. Now, these are only intended to be used where roads intersecting mid-blocks are what we've called high volume. And by high volume, we sort of mean major state roads um, sort of with high traffic volumes because the existing mid-block tables already account for minor intersections. And there are separate T and cross section, uh, cross intersections uh, because the safety and performance of each of those is quite different. So this is an example of an intersection table. As you can see, it's stereotype number 11. It's a T, not a cross intersection. And then you look at your uh, speed, speed zone that you're in. And perhaps at this point, there's a stop sign, um, which has the lower safety performance. And they're just using the table. It's really easy to see. This is your predicted number of FSI crashes. And if you want to improve the safety outcome of that intersection, say we're going to change it to a left in, left out, you just move up the table and show the difference. And there's your FSI savings over a 20 year um, period. 
So now I just want to take you through an example of the process, how to use it. You know, there's further information in the user guide, obviously, but we thought we'll illustrate this five-step procedure using an example. And as I said before, please feel free to ask questions. So the first step is collect preliminary information. Now to illustrate the process, I'm just going to use this example road. So this is a corridor, it's broken down into two links, which represent the different homogeneous sections of geometry along the corridor. So lane widths, curvature, etc. Um, and because the stereotype tables, which are pre-calculated with NREM values, include the assessment of minor intersections along the route, we won't need to assess this intersection because it's a minor intersection. So step one, we're going to look at what's the funding available, what's the time frame, what are the treatment costs? And we've got $5 million of funding for this example. And we're also going to use it to look at uh, what the cost would be to get to a five-star road. Um, and then we've got the treatment costs here. Now, these are taken out of the appendix in the user guide, but we really want to encourage you to use your own costs as they may differ significantly depending on your jurisdiction. So step two is collect the data for each corridor. So this is where you probably need to go and work with your assets team to get some of that information. Um, here's a table of the type of data that you need to collect. So filling in your ADTs, your speed limit, et cetera. I've just put a few values there and remembering that you have to collect it for each link within your network. And just to show you the difference here, so the top cross section is link B, which is the, the more narrow carriageway, link A is down the bottom. And now we're on to step three. So, you know, the first couple of steps you can, it's a lot of data, it's not actually using the stereotype tables yet. So now we get to look up which stereotype is appropriate for this corridor. So we go to the 13 stereotypes. There are eight rural ones and five urban ones. And we look at, um, you know, it's a rural local road, the ADT's 3,000 vehicles a day. It's a sealed carriageway and the speed limit's 100. So this tells us that the stereotype table we need to look at is stereotype number six. And now we go into treatment selection. So we're going to consider the two funding scenarios. So the $5 million of safety funding that we received and also what is the funding required to achieve a five-star corridor. Now, just reminding you that these are our two different links and we are aiming for consistent corridor standards. So we now look at our stereotype table and I've already mapped on it for you, link A and link B. Um, so just to match the geometric attributes of each of those links. A is pretty clear, it's gonna be ID row five. Um, for link B, there's some characteristics that match ID 5 and some of them match ID 6. So we're going to choose 6 to be a bit more cautious. And yep, I've just put that in the top. So this is where you need to decide what the vision is for your corridor. Think about um, consistency and policy objectives. For this example, we're going to go for a mass action safety treatment. So we want to widen 
link B, uh, we want to install ATLMs and we want to put in some targeted barriers. And I've just listed on the slide some of the options you may want to consider. You know, if you don't have a lot of funding, you may need to just reduce the speed limit. If you do have a little bit of funding, you may just put in ATLMs or targeted safety barriers. You may also be able to widen link B to match link A. So you just have to consider the different options based on your um, funding constraints, I guess. So the next two slides, um, I've left them in here to show you how to calculate the fatal and serious injury savings. Um, but I won't talk you through them now. It's basically just the calculations. You can see they're also in the full version of the example in Appendix D of the user guide. But essentially what we're trying to show you here is for link A and link B, if we are trying to achieve um, row four, so the cross section in ID row four, this is how you would calculate the FSI savings. So you'll save 71 FSIs over a 20 year period at a value of $85 million. Um, and visually, this is uh, what we're trying to achieve. So the top is link B. We're going to widen that to try and match the lane widths of link A. We don't have enough funding to, to match the shoulders, perhaps. We're going to install ATLMs and put in targeted safety barriers where there's hazards close to the edge of the carriageway. So that's the middle cross section. That's what we're aiming for. And that middle cross-section essentially becomes what we're calling our corridor standard. So then going back to our stereotype table, um, what I just want to illustrate here is you may not find a single line with all your geometric attributes in it, but we pick the one that's closest, which for us in this example, it's number four. So we don't quite have um, all the attributes, but we have most that match ID four. Um, and as I said, the full calculations are in the user guide, but the takeaway from the summary here is that, you know, for $5 million, you can uh, get a three-star road or for $550 million, uh, you can get a five-star road. So there are some of the things that you may want to consider. And then the last step is recommending your corridor standards. And so this is the summary table here of our corridor standards that we're recommending showing the current funding of $5 million and then uh, the funding required to achieve the five-star corridor. And while we've only had time today to show you the one corridor, the process can then be undertaken on multiple corridors and aggregated up to develop a network safety plan. And that's the calculations for all of that is in um, Appendix D of the user guide. So that's the end of our presentation for today. Thank you for listening, everyone. Thanks, um, everybody, for um, watching the presentation. Um, and it's time for us to move to the Q&A session. And I will um, hand over to David to moderate it. Yes, thank you, Ekaterina. And thank you to all the participants in the webinar today. Um, we've had quite a few questions, and I don't think we'll get through them all, but we'll do uh, the ones that we think probably are the general um, general response to the, the attendees. The first question today is one related to, um, is the network level evaluation effectively at the portfolio level? Might refer this one to you, Richard. Uh, thanks, David. Um, I think the answer is essentially yes, and it's 
pretty much a scalable process. So it can it can respond to programs, uh, either um, sub-programs within a jurisdiction or a jurisdiction or program to look at an entire network. So it is flexible to be used how, how you would like to use it. Um, but we pretty much see that it would be used by by whichever jurisdiction is uh, looking after the particular road network. Okay, thank you. Um, there's a question here relating to slide 23. Um, would this uh, be at the start with network planning rather than project development? And I think the slides probably answer this question, but um, it's to do with maturity. Um, yeah, so when we did a bit of a check on agencies and their implementation of projects, programs and, and network type evaluations, most jurisdictions work at the project level and that's a very low level of maturity. Some of them have programs specific to certain objectives and they aggregate those programs which provide a portfolio view. What we're saying here is that really we should be setting standards which get a consistent and self-explaining outcome for road users of roads of a certain type. And therefore, the best way to do that and to ensure that it's sustainable in meeting certain dollar objectives for the road agencies to complete a network safety plan, this network design process facilitates that. So that's the response to slide 23. Does anyone want to add anything more to that response? Yeah. No? Okay. Um, can this guide, which is the network-wide safety plan guide, be applied for existing networks? Uh, Richard, I think we were going to answer this one. Yep. Um, I guess the answer to that is that it's really, that's what it's designed for, to, to enable you to understand um, how your existing network might be performing and trying to quantify some benefits of any improvements you might want to make to that, that network. So as I said um, in the introduction, very much an analysis tool. You need to think through what sort of treatments are, are viable given all of your existing contexts and constraints you're working in. And the tool allows you to, to decide, to, to quantify that the benefits uh, using existing safety tools essentially of, of, of the improvements that you're proposing. It's certainly not designed to, to Take place of take the place of decision making in in your jurisdiction as far as which which option you're actually going to build. But it certainly outlines the benefits of of some decisions you might want to make. Okay, um, we've got a lengthy question here regarding collectors and the relevance and applicability of of this process for collector roads and particularly in the context of movement in place. A number of other things, vibrant streets, etc. So, I, um, Noel, is this one that you can best answer? Uh, yes, I can. Thanks, David. And I think the nub of the question was the implication was that uh, collector roads weren't safe. And what what we're looking at here is assessing your existing network. We're not trying to say this this road is better than that. You've got to assess your existing network. You can look at what the safety implications are for those types of cross sections. And this this process will then allow you to improve that safety by using the using the um, the FSI rates to look at how you can improve what your current situation is.
So it's it's not it's not suggesting um, one road is safer than the other. It's suggesting this is how you assess the safety and this is how you move to a safer road network. Does anyone Thanks. else want to add anything on that? Uh, that's pretty good. I think you know that question. It'll it'll take a lengthy response, um, and Q and A's will be posted uh, following the webinar, so the detail can be included there. Uh, we've got a, got a question regarding NRAM and IRAP. Um, they seem to measure the same thing. Why two methods? Which one is the one to use? And um, Madeline, this might be one for you. Um, yeah. yeah. Sure. Um, okay, so as part of the uh, project development, we use two crash risk assessment models. Um, so using ANRAM, what we did was, um, because it's you know based on Australian crash data, speeds and traffic, it can give us a predicted number of FSIs for those road stereotypes. And we used IRAP to give us a star rating. Um, and I, uh, Katrina, if you want to put up one of the stereotype slides, you'll be able to see that these are all pre-calculated fields. So um, you don't actually have to calculate anything out. Once you know the geometry of your road and your cross section, you just look it up in the table and it tells you the predicted number of FSIs and the star rating. Just wait and see if Katarina can bring um, a table up. <laughs> Maybe not quickly. <laughs> so. Uh, Which slide was yeah. it? That's a, that's a really good response there, Madeline. So, um, because NRAM and IRAP are quite complex models and they take quite a bit to understand how to use the models, this process has been designed for any local government to use. And um, so that you can just quickly look up pre-calculated values, which you're using the NRAM and IRAP model, which are included in the tables. And you simply just multiply by the the VKT values to get your forecast FSIs, and you also see the star rating um, for each of the road stereotypes. All right, well, look, we might keep moving on to maximise the number of questions. Um, so, was site uh, on slide 50? Was site friction taken into account when we were considering the rural road uh, stereotypes? Richard, is this one that you can answer or um, I can answer too, so it's up to you. Well, I can, can start off. I guess it's fair to note that what this process does is basically provides the same functionality of using NRAM, but probably in a bit more transparent way. Um, NRAM takes into account side friction with minor access type roads um, so that this model does, effectively does, does the same as that. Um, the intersection tables, there was a bit of a gap that we've we identified where uh, the, the major intersections are certainly not covered in, in existing road safety models. So that, that was an attempt to at least get some information in the in the user guide on on that sort of sort of treatment. Um, so I guess the key thing to note is that the, the information you're using is got the same degree of accuracy and coarseness as existing road safety models used by NRAM, IRAP and the, and the like. And you might want to keep going from that, David, possibly. Yeah, I know this was considered very early on in the process with the project team. And uh, we did discuss tight curves, et cetera. 
um, this process is at a network level. We did say that we'd make allowances in the program and the examples that you can see in the user guide uh, makes allowance for capital projects to improve alignments. So where we've got tight curves, maybe may not getting the side friction values that we're getting in those tight curves at that speed environment, and you remove those first, and there's an allowance for a capital injection for those localised like, um, uh, points on the corridor. So um, look, we can't really provide more an answer than, than what we have in the time available today. Um, let's move on to slide 51. Is this table applicable to rural and highways as well as urban roads, uh, or there is a, another table for urban roads and streets? Um, Madeline, I think you probably understand more about the um, the types of stereotypes. Hmm. Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, I'm not sure that is slide 51 question, but essentially um, we have 13 road stereotypes that have been developed. Eight tables are for rural. Um, stereotypes and there are five tables for urban so um, and I think as I said in the presentation there's 88 stereotypes in total that that um, you know different road geometries that these tables cover. Thanks Madeline. Um, yeah I think there's so, sorry Dave. Yeah, yeah. Think, sorry sorry Dave I, I think the thing worth noting is is the options that under, under each road stereotype were pretty much workshop to try and work out what common cross sections are both out on the network and uh, what might be some reasonable aspirations that people might be looking at. Um, so it's just worth throwing in how we actually arrived at some of those tables very quickly. Okay, thanks Richard. Um, I'll move on to another question, slide 48, road stereotypes. Just wondering the cross-section for a 110 kilometre road for volumes less than a thousand vehicles per day, um, which is typical in South Australia. Um, how, how can we cover off on this scenario? Can you, uh, Katarina, can you go back to slide 46? Because I think that's the one that's referring to. That's the one. Oh, yeah. What was yeah. the question again, David? So it was, there's 110 in South Australia yeah. for less than. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So some of the scenarios I can probably this might have predated these discussions probably predated your involvement, Madeline and Noel, on the project. So what happened was that there were certain scenarios which we thought were typical of existing roads, and um, when we did our audit, we didn't find any 110 kilometre hour roads for less than a thousand vehicle a day type corridors. So um, we can add scenarios into the stereotype tables. One thing that was considered though when we constructed those stereotype tables was to make sure that we didn't recommend necessarily every scenario because some scenarios really have high crash rates per VKT. Um, this might end up being in that scenario because uh, roads carrying less than a thousand vehicles a day, you'd expect to have a lower cross-section standard in the existing asset situation and to run them at 110 kilometres an hour, the combination of those two things may forecast higher FSI rates. But we can run extra stereotype scenarios to include in those tables. Um, and I think if you have some of those situations, certainly contact Austroads and we can include those in the tables and update um, the guidelines that are on the network. 
All right. Thank you. So let's move on. Um, got a question here. Um, with regard to road agencies next steps, what do you think um, I should do in my organisation um, to help facilitate the development of a network safety plan? Um, Madeline, this might be one for you. Hmm. Yep, sure. Um, okay, so my first uh, advice would be to start with the case study examples that we've put in Appendix D of the user guide. Um, I would work through those to make sure that you familiarise yourself with the examples and how um, how you put a network together, because obviously we've just taken you through a, a single corridor example in this webinar, um, but then to develop it for your network, you have to do it for, for each of your corridors and then amalgamate them up. Um, and then um, I guess as per the five-step process, you probably need to work with your asset team to get the data that's required. And there's a couple of examples on the slides of all the different types of geometric attributes that you'd need. Um, and then you just, Start working through the process and you should be able to follow through with the case study examples as well to help you so using your own data but following those steps um, otherwise you're welcome to contact us and we'll help talk you through it as well thanks Madeline it's probably worth noting here also that um, a scenario for one corridor with a few um, links homogeneous links on it probably can be completed in about two hours. It might take a little bit of time to refine scenarios for different funding levels, you know, an extra hour or so. But our thinking is that for most road agency networks, you could probably complete a network safety plan within about four weeks. And that will give you a vision standard that would apply for 10 years. And you might come and do a review of that five years through that. Um, but then, of course, all the programs and projects that are going to be delivered as part of that road agency would adopt those standards, meeting that vision standard for the network safety plan. Ensures consistency and a self-explaining road is achieved. Um, the road design task force um, was noted as being the, pro the, the task force that delivered this project. Were there others involved in this? Um, Richard, this is probably one that starts right back from when the project commenced and you've got good knowledge about that. Can you answer that question? Yes, David, thanks. Um, I guess we cast the net pretty wide when we started the project and certainly went out of our way to engage uh, road safety practitioners, um, practitioners involved in um, network operation. We tried to get the inputs from a broad range of people, so the likes of um, Jeremy Woolley and the Road Safety Task Force and a number of interested um, representatives from jurisdictions who who um, operate in this space certainly contributed very strongly through, through initial workshops and the like. Um, and that was continued through through the through to uh, through the review process and, and reflected in the outcome. Yes. Um, another question. Um, the title infers a focus on cross sections. I note there's been some comments around um, intersections. Um, can you uh, explain that a little bit more? Um, maybe Noel, um, if you could cover that off, Noel. Yeah. But, uh, as you may have noticed, there's, uh, there's the mid block types, which take into account minor intersections, but um, major intersections had to be treated differently. So this is why we've got a, a separate set of stereotypes for the major intersections. And these are these are quite major. If you look at the, the tables for the stereotypes in there, 
those volumes are, are quite high in those for the intersecting road and for the main road. So um, that's where we've differentiated between the between the two. Madeline, did you want to add on that? I might just um, draw your attention to the example that we went through. So um, in the webinar, we had two links within a corridor, but it was a minor road that was intersecting them, and that's how the change in geometry came through and so we didn't assess that intersection because it was just a minor one and the, the FSIs are sort of already pre-calculated in those ANRAM values for minor intersections um, so as Noel said it's both major intersections perhaps you know state uh, roads and freeways they're the ones that you need to individually assess as an intersection and add that to your corridor to get your network safety plan. Okay thanks for that. Um, there's a question here regarding the star rating. So this process uses a high level star rating assessment, which is used to set the targeted network standard. Uh, will it be expected that any detailed design will undertake a full star rating assessment to ensure it complies? Who would like to answer this? Um, I know I can provide an answer, but maybe Richard, do you, if you, are you able to answer this one? Um, can to a degree, I mean, this guide provides a tool rather than policy about what people might yeah. elect to do on a jurisdiction level, I guess is a key, the key message. Um, it certainly uses all the same information used to create a star rating along a corridor. It just makes, yeah. makes that information more accessible and probably more transparent in, in some of the, in some of the um, options being considered. Yeah, I would think that, um, really probably don't use the star rating as, as an assessment to set the standard that we're going to go to. It's really a reporting level. It's the change in FSIs based on the NRAM calculated values where the decision is really made because we're trying to maximise the uh, FSI uh, reduction as part of any treatment that we make within each corridor. So I think it's more of a reporting format. In terms of projects, I would say that you'd be a very game person once you've optimised the investment level and reduced and minimised the crash rates as far as possible with any given investment to move away from the vision standards for that corridor on a specific project. You could be sub-optimising the investment for the whole of the network and really have to do some more detailed calculations for that. So I think the vision standards that are set for each corridor as part of this process would be automatically adopted. I know some jurisdictions have a concept called strategic fit and that a project has to have strategic fit for the objectives and the vision standards set for corridors. So it would clearly just adopt that and not try to change or adopt that because it's better to get the, the whole network treated as per the vision standard to maximise the FSI savings. Um, another question here. Um, um, Excellent process to mitigate accidents in terms of the budget. I have a question. Does your analysis depend on the type of vehicles predominantly using rural road, um, rural collector roads? If trailer trucks are using it often, we may have to get a different solution. Can you please throw some more light on this? Who's best to answer this question? I can, I can start it, David, I guess. Um, it sort of highlighted the, the, the importance of 
of using solid design decision making in, in setting the that setting the actual standard that you're trying to achieve on the network. Um, the tool won't give you that, but it'll give you a means to 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 assess the likely um, benefits you might achieve. Um, we are starting to to deal with vehicles on the on the extremes of a more typical corridor. Well, you do need to be a bit careful here. You use the the, the the tool, but but it still can inform some of your decision making. Yeah, thanks. You know, Richard says like it is a high level. Oh, sorry. Uh, it's a high level assessment tool. We we sort of didn't intend for it to be used in a detailed design sense. That that would have to be um, assessed on a case by case basis. Okay, thanks. And we'll have to hand back to you, Ekaterina, because we've um, over time. Thank you. You're on mute, Ekaterina. Hmm. Oh, I'm so sorry. So sorry. So I was saying thank you to everybody for a great Q and A and very interesting presentation. And as uh, David mentioned, we have uh, very many questions and we will answer all of them and email you the copy of the response after uh, the webinar. So um, before we wrap up, just a few words um, on our next webinars. We have 10 sessions coming up um, on a variety of topics. So there will be some webinars on updated pedestrian planning and design guidance, um, sessions on race safety platforms, uh, public transport prioritization, bridge asset management, and many others. So if these sessions are not in your calendar yet, please visit our website for more information um, and to register. Um, and as usual, uh, when we close out today's session, there will be a questionnaire on your screen. So please take a couple of uh, minutes to fill it in. Uh, let us know what you liked or didn't like um, about the session. Um, and you will... Um, also receive a follow-up email from us within a couple of days uh, with a link to the recording on our website so you can um, watch it if you miss uh, missed any of the uh, bits of the uh, presentation so thanks again um, everybody um, stay well and safe um, and enjoy the rest of your day and we will see you next time thank you